Welcome to the Cherry Hills Podcast. We're in a teaching series called Dear God, where together we're learning to practice praying as Jesus taught us. Thanks for joining us. Well, good morning. Thank you for the way that you have tuned in week after week. Uh, the pastors that have been teaching, we've been kind of laughing a little bit at ourselves. May, you may have noticed a few weeks ago that I referred to Susanna Wesley as the father of John and Charles Wesley. Uh, that was not lost on the teasing I got after that. And then Steve, uh, after that, called God Gerd. So we're having fun uh, with this. Thank you for your patience. So our preaching isn't perfect, but we thank you for listening to the Word of God and what He wants us to know. So this morning, we continue our series called Dear God on Prayer. And again, we've been referencing this book by Pete Gregg called How to Pray, A Simple Guide for Normal People. And as we think about that, he offers an acrostic that we've been talking about, and you can see it here on the screen. P for pause, R for rejoice, A for ask, and Y for yield. And today we come to the why for yield. And if you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see. We now come to the most difficult part of the Lord's Prayer. Stanley Howris actually said this about the section of the Lord's Prayer that we're about to look at. Right here is where the Lord's Prayer is most difficult to pray. Perhaps that is why this is the longest and most involved petition in the Lord's Prayer. Now, what part of the Lord's Prayer are we talking about? If you look at that first gray box, you'll see these words that I've listed from the New Living Translation. And forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. And don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. The way we've been learning it together in the New International Version is, and forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. And so we'll talk about that today. And as we think about yielding, because it's so difficult, if you're like me, sometimes I want to know why. Why would Jesus ask us to do something so difficult? Some of the relational challenges we have in life, for me, are some of the most difficult things in life. And yet Jesus challenges us anyway to learn how to pray like this. And so in the notes, I've put this line. This is actually the good news that he wants us to know. If you're following along, Jesus trains us to keep the pipeline open with God. Jesus trains us to keep the pipeline open with God. In my notes, I also wrote the word lifeline. Uh, He wants us to know that in prayer, we have a lifeline. We have a relational connection with him. And that if we will keep that pipeline open with him, These prayers that we're learning about today in the Lord's Prayer help us do that. Now, a few years ago, I found a prop that was helpful to me with this whole idea. If you can see here, I'm holding up a straw. And the idea of a straw is that it's kind of narrow, and yet something can flow through it, even something powerful, if it's open. If it's not uh, against the flow, if it's with the flow, or if it doesn't have anything inside it. Think with me about uh, the idea that Anne Lamott shares in a quote that I really like. Here's what she says. The Gulf Stream can pass through a straw 
if the straw aligns itself with the Gulf Stream. As powerful as the flow of the Gulf Stream is, if the straw is aligned with it, the Gulf Stream can flow through it. Uh, maybe another way to think of it that's not so material is the idea of a blood vessel, something organic like that, where the lifeblood flows through a blood vessel unless it gets blocked. Or Jesus used the idea of a branch, that the life sap from his vine can flow through the branch if it's not blocked, if it's aligned with the vine. And so Jesus wants to teach us in this prayer how we can continue to train in such a way that we keep the pipeline open. And some verses in the Bible show us the possibilities of this. If you look in the second gray box, notice I've listed James 5.16 from the message paraphrase and also Psalm 66.18 and 19. Let's read them together. The prayer of a person living right with God is something powerful to be reckoned with. And then the psalm writer says, if I had cherished sin in my heart, the Lord would not have listened, but God has surely listened and has heard my prayer. So this little idea, this prop has reminded me that in many ways, my relational connection with God is like this. And I wanna live in such a way that I pray and live and interact with him keeping that in sync with him, lined up with him, aligned with him, but also not letting anything block. Years ago, I heard a story that kind of reminded me why I wanted to use this straw. A mentor of mine told me that when he was in California, the church that he was part of had actually had a problem with their stove. One day, when some of the ladies went to use the stove in the kitchen, they found that it would not work. So they immediately called the repairman to come out and check the stove and the oven to see what was keeping it from working. And he found that there was nothing wrong with the stove. So the next they called the utilities and the gas company came out and he too found that the gas source was completely working intact. So what was the problem? Finally, puzzled as they were, some of the crew took the stove in the oven, they pulled it out and they went behind and they found the little pipeline that led to the gas source. And when they cut it open, they discovered that a little spider had somehow crawled in and spun a web so thick that it literally had cut off the power supply. And when I heard that story, I thought, there are all kinds of things in my life that can creep in, crawl in, or go unaddressed and I may not understand why my relationship with God is not as rich and fulfilling and dynamic, but Jesus wants us to know the good news. So he teaches us this part of the Lord's prayer. So if you're following along in the notes, here's what I hope you'll see. In this section of the prayer, Jesus teaches us to yield to him often. And then we're gonna also not only understand these words better, but I hope to be able to share with you a practical way that we can practice yielding in prayer this week. Would you pray with me? Now, Lord, you know that I need this message as much as anyone else. This has been a week where it's almost like I needed to learn these words afresh this week. And I pray that as I unfold them with your help, that you would help every person who listens to have a dynamic 
growing relationship with you. In your name we ask, amen. So first of all, I want to talk to you about the idea of yield. What do we mean by yield? Have you ever seen this traffic sign before? If you have, then you know that what it means is when you're driving down the road as a motorist, you need to make sure you're always paying attention to someone else that may be uh, coming up alongside of you or ahead of you. And if you're following along in the notes, to yield means to give priority to another, to open space for. That means rather than just pushing on ahead, I need to defer to, I need to give way to, I need to give place to another. And the Bible says is that the greatest way that you and I were made to live is to give priority to the Lord and to open space for him, to give place to him in all his authority and love and power. The Bible also says in Ephesians 5, 27, excuse me, that we can give place to the devil. And it says, don't do that. Don't, don't yield to the evil one. Instead, yield to the Lord. And so earlier in this prayer, we saw your kingdom come, your will be done. And next week, Brian's going to go into a lot more detail about that particular part of the prayer when he teaches about what do we understand about unanswered prayers. But also later in this same chapter that Jesus is teaching us, the Lord's Prayer, chapter six of Matthew, he says, look, instead of worrying, seek first, yield to Jesus, yield to the Lord, yield to the Father. And that's what he wants us to do. So when I think about giving priority to another and opening space for, that reminds me of the straw. How can I open space for so that there is this flow of God's life in me? Now, here's what I want you to notice. We immediately have a problem when we hear the words and forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us because the truth is, I thought when I trusted in Jesus, he forgave all my sins, past, present, future. And so J.I. Packer in his book on the Lord's Prayer says, a problem arises here. If Christ's death atoned for all sins, past, present, and future, as it did, and if God's verdict, justifying the believer, I accept you as righteous for Jesus' sake, is eternally valid, as it is, why need the Christian mention his daily sins to God at all? The answer lies in distinguishing between God as judge and as father, and between being a justified sinner and an adopted son or daughter. The Lord's Prayer is the family prayer in which God's adopted children address their father, and though their daily failures do not overthrow their justification and standing, things will not be right between them and their father till they have said sorry and asked him to overlook the ways they have let him down. And I found that really helpful. So if you're following along in the notes, notice this, that sins block, but don't take away a Christian's relationship with God. They have this ability to block, but they can't take away the relational connection that we have. They don't take our standing with God that's secure, but they do affect the quality of our fellowship, our relationship. And therefore, that's why we need to address them. If we truly are grateful that God is our father, then we don't want to be in a strained relationship with him. And this prayer gives us an opportunity to clean those things up and to see those things affected. If you're following along, notice that Jesus says, 
relating rightly with God and people is intertwined. Jesus says relating rightly with God and people is intertwined. Sometimes we try and separate those. Sometimes we can say, well, the way I treat God and the way I treat other people can be two separate things. But God teaches us again and again that the way we interact with each other is also going to affect the way we interact with him. And the way we interact with him is going to affect the way we interact with each other. If not, then something's wrong. Let me just give you several verses uh, that talk about this. And this one comes really close to home for me this week. It's 1 Peter 3, 7. Here's what it says. The same goes for you husbands. Be good husbands to your wives. Honor them, delight in them. As women, they lack some of your advantages. But in the new life of God's grace, you're equals. Treat your wives then as equals so your prayers don't run aground. Or as one translation says, treat your wives with consideration so that nothing may hinder your prayers. Do you see that the way we treat those closest to us can either hinder our prayers or keep our prayers open? Jesus said this in Mark eleven twenty five. He says, and when you stand praying, if you hold anything against anyone, forgive them so that your father in heaven may forgive you your sins. And then look at Matthew uh, again, uh, five here, which is earlier when he's already been talking in the Sermon on the Mount. Look at what he says. Therefore, if you are offering your gift at the altar, in other words, if you come to worship God on a Sunday morning, and there remember that your brother or sister has something against you. Leave your gift there in front of the altar. First, go and be reconciled to them. Then come and offer your gift. Settle matters quickly with your adversary who is taking you to court. Do it while you are still together on the way, or your adversary may hand you over to the judge, and the judge may hand you over to the officer, and you may be thrown into prison. You see what Jesus is saying is, don't keep going. Don't keep acting like you can be wrong with someone else or do something wrong to someone else and it doesn't affect your relationship with God. Take care of that, clean that up, deal with that, address that. And then notice what he says, do it quickly. Don't let it keep going. So notice that it's the way things are rightly related. Some of you know that years ago, I first told a story about the way I treated a manager at Hardee's when I went through the drive-thru, and I had to go back and apologize to him. Why? Interestingly enough, you're going to laugh at this, that very week I was talking about things that block our prayers, and I noticed as I was driving away from mistreating this guy because of my rude tone and my demeanor that the Holy Spirit crossed the ticker of my mind, just said, Jeff, you got to go back and make that right. You can't keep talking to me and acting like everything's great between us if you're not going to be led by my spirit and treat people the way I want you to treat them. And that was life-changing for me. And some of you have told me that by me telling that story, it helped you pay more attention to the pipeline, the lifeline, the relational connection you have with God and keeping it unhindered. So notice this. Here are the three big ideas in this prayer. And I've listed them with spider webs just as a way to kind of remind you. So the first thing that he teaches us as far as yielding is that if you're following along, confessing our sins removes blockages and restores our fellowship. Confessing our sins removes blockages and restores 
our fellowship. Uh, notice this in 1 John 1, 9. This has sometimes been called the Christian's bar of soap. And I'm so thankful for this promise. If we confess our sins, he is faithful and just and will forgive us our sins and purify us from all unrighteousness. This doesn't just mean that first time we confessed our sins and turned to Christ. This means that in an ongoing way, we're looking to him to keep purifying us and keeping our relationship clean and right with him. And so he invites us on a regular basis to continue confessing our sins, not because we've lost our standing with God, but because we want to have rich fellowship with him and let nothing hinder or block it. I love how the author that we've been talking about, Pete Gregg, talks about this in his own life. In the book we've been recommending, here's what he writes. I was walking the darkened streets near our house one night, reviewing the day in this way about examining myself as usual before bed, remembering how I'd driven Sammy, his wife, and the boys to the cinema and how someone had cut us off. I'd yelled at him. Sammy had yelled at me. I'd yelled at Sammy. Hadn't she seen how dangerously the other guy was driving? Had she forgotten that we had vulnerable children in the car? Didn't she know there was such a thing as righteous anger? She'd gone silent. We'd arrived at the cinema. The film had been great. Life had moved on. No big deal. But now in the stillness of these darkened streets, as I returned to that moment, it seemed that God was siding with my wife. I sighed. Okay, I'm sorry. I admit it. I lost my temper. I shouldn't have yelled at the driver. Lord, help me be more patient tomorrow. There was a pause before I sensed him telling me to apologize to our sons. This thought annoyed me, and I found myself protesting. That's ridiculous. You're making this bigger than it is. My kids don't need me to apologize. They won't even remember such a trivial incident. Do you have any idea what the traffic is like around here, God? Ten minutes later, I was sitting on Hudson's bed. Son, I just want to say sorry to you for something. Do you remember me yelling at that man on the way to the cinema? Immediately, he nodded. I shouldn't have done that. Mom was right. Christians are supposed to be patient and kind. I set you a bad example. That's not how I want you to grow up and treat people. I'm sorry. Right away, he put his arms around my neck and squeezed me tight. That's okay, Dad. A minute later, I was in the room next door making the same speech to Danny, and the same thing happened. He immediately knew exactly what I was talking about. He hadn't forgotten either. He listened to my apology and didn't think it was crazy. He hugged me and told me it was okay. It's a silly, mundane story, and that's the whole point. We are changed, conformed into the likeness of Christ through a thousand small choices like these. Millions of people have found freedom from addictions through the 12-step program, the fifth step of which is simple confession. We admit to God, to ourselves, and to another human being the exact nature of our wrongs. There is such power in confessing our sin, not just to God, but also to another person. Again and again, I have found relief and release in the simple act of admitting my failures and bringing them into the light. I'm so grateful for that story, and I found that what he's saying is true. So first, when we say, forgive us our sins or forgive us our debts, the word debts there means something which is owed, something that is not right, that there's something that is still wrong, 
And so as we think about that, he urges us to confess it because if we do, he will cleanse us and keep purifying us. Notice this. The next one is that by passing on forgiveness, we've received his life. By passing on the forgiveness we've received, there should be a comma there, his life flows through us. And this idea is found in the second part of the prayer, which makes it a little bit more tricky. And that is, forgive us our sins as we have forgiven those who sin against us. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. Now, I don't know about you, but I don't really like that second part as much. I want God to forgive me, but I don't necessarily want him to ask me to forgive someone else. This week, I wrote down these words to kind of voice my honest prayer. Father, forgive me, but don't forgive them. Father, let me ask to forgive me. Let me ask you to forgive me, but don't ask me to forgive so-and-so. And when we pray this kind of prayer, what we're saying is, Lord, I understand that there is this connection. Do you know what Jesus says right after verse 12 and 13? This is where he actually clarifies this particular request, this petition before him. For if you forgive other people when they sin against you, your heavenly father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their sins, your father will not forgive your sins. And this is one of those incredibly important things is that when you and I refuse to forgive, we literally cut off the flow of God's life flowing through us, flowing through this relational lifeline. And so as we think about this, um, I found another story really helpful from Pete Gregg's book. Maybe you've heard about this historically, but he writes that we cannot detach our relationships with people from our relationship with God. At the age of six, Ruby Bridges was volunteered by her mother to become the first African-American girl to attend an all-white elementary school in Louisiana. Each day, she was escorted to and from the school by up to 25 federal marshals to protect her from the crowd of angry protesters at the school gates. One woman would regularly scream death threats at Ruby. Another protester held a black doll aloft in a coffin. Every parent pulled their child out of the school. Having braved the crowd's hatred, Ruby would sit all alone in an empty classroom. She was taught by Barbara Henry, the only teacher willing to offer her an education. Ruby recalls wandering the school during her breaks, looking for all the other children. Images of this tiny little girl, so smartly dressed and clutching her school bag, guarded by suited men twice her size, polarized America. Norman Rockwell depicted the scene in a famous painting, The Problem We All Live With. Watching this tragedy unfold, child psychologist Robert Coles offered Ruby counseling. Once a week, he sat in the humble home she shared with four siblings and her parents who could neither read or write. You looked like you were talking to the people on the street on your way into school yesterday, he said on one occasion. Did you finally get angry with them? Were you telling them to leave you alone? No, doctor, replied Ruby politely. I didn't tell them anything. I didn't talk to them. Well, who were you talking to? The little girl stared at him. I was talking to God. I was praying to God for the people in the street. You were praying for them? But Ruby, why were you praying for them? Her eyes widened. Well, don't you think they need praying for? Robert Coles was lost for words. 
Regaining his composure, he whispered, what do you say when you pray for them, Ruby? Oh, I always say the same thing. Please, God, try to forgive these people because even if they say those bad things, they don't know what they're doing. And Ruby understood that the Bible is teaching us that reconciliation on this earth is how the kingdom of God, God's will happens. Reconciliation with God, reconciliation with one another, reconciliation with ourselves. And so as we see this, let me just tell you that Jesus had to teach Peter this lesson one time in Matthew 18. If you look at verses 21 and 22, look at what he says. Then Peter came to Jesus and asked, Lord, how many times shall I forgive my brother or sister who sins against me? Up to seven times? You kind of wonder if he had a grievance that he was trying to see if Jesus would cut him some slack or just tell him that he had done enough. But Jesus tells this incredible parable about a servant who owed something like the national debt. The idea was it was an unpayable debt that he could never pay back. But he got on his knees and he pleaded with the king to forgive his debt. And the king amazingly did. When this servant who had just been forgiven instead of put into prison for his debt walks out after being forgiven, he sees another servant friend of his who owed him a much lesser amount. And when he saw him, the servant that owed the lesser amount said, please just give me time and I'll pay you back. But this servant that had just been forgiven this huge amount would hear nothing of it. And he had him thrown in prison until his debt was paid. When the king found out about this, he was pretty upset. And here are the words Jesus uses in that parable, Matthew 18. Then the master called the servant in. You wicked servant, he said. I canceled all that debt of yours because you begged me to. Shouldn't you have had mercy on your fellow servant just as I had on you? In anger, his master handed him over to the jailers to be tortured until he should pay back all he owed. This is how my heavenly father will treat each of you unless you forgive your brother or sister from your heart. Now, what we see here is that there is this give and take that the Lord wants us to pass on the same forgiveness we've received so that his life can not only flow through us, but flow to other people too. So that's the second one. Let me just give you the third one in this prayer. It's found in don't let us yield to temptation, but rescue us from the evil one. Lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil, the evil one. Notice if you're following along that this means that when we pray this, we consciously rely on God's power and protection from evil. Here's the honest truth. There is no way that I could speak on these words adequately enough. <laughs> these, all these require probably a whole message in themselves. And so I would urge you to actually look at that chapter in Pete Gregg's book on spiritual warfare. But one of the things that I do know is that uh, both halves of lead us not into temptation and deliver us from evil express a single thought. Here's what J.I. Packer says. Life is a spiritual minefield. Amid such dangers, we dare not trust ourselves. Father, keep us safe. And it throws us back on just reminding, I don't know about you, but there are times I forget this. I get cocky and I think, well, I'm doing pretty good with God. And those are the moments that I'm usually most in trouble. 1 Corinthians 10, 12 and 13, put it this way. So if you think you are standing firm, 
be careful that you don't fall. No temptation has overtaken you except what is common to mankind. And God is faithful. He will not let you be tempted beyond what you can bear. But when you are tempted, he will also provide a way out so that you can endure it. And so God is so faithful. He's urging us literally every day to ask him to protect us, not only from falling into the temptation, but also asking us to deliver us from the power and the the schemes of the evil one. And we need to keep praying that until we're with him in heaven one day. This just reminds us that we need him. We need his help to forgive. We need his help to be forgiven. We need his help to overcome the power of the evil one. And so how do we practice yielding in a practical way? Well, again, Pete Gregg in his book refers to something that has been practiced by Christians for thousands of years called the examine. And the idea is, is that when we examine ourselves each day, the chances of us getting a straw that is blocked or a relational connection with God that stays blocked or that is sideways with God, we can catch it sooner. And so using four words that start with R-E, he suggests something that he does every night before he goes to bed when he's either walking the dog or taking time before he goes to sleep. And here they are. First, replay, replay. Replay your day in detail, letting God help you see it with his eyes. This whole idea of taking time to do this and explaining more of how he does this can be found at this website if you'd like to know a lot more about that. If you go to prayercourse.org backslash toolshed, you can find tools like this and others that I've talked about today. But when you replay it, when you go back over your day, he says that it helps to do it kind of chronologically for him. But you just begin to let God help you see, what did you think about our day together, God? How did you see it? Is there something that you want me to notice? And that leads us to this next part. Rejoice in all the ways you notice God at work around you. Rejoice. Many times, rather than just looking for what went wrong or what's wrong with us, Uh, we're urged to look at what God did in his grace, the gifts that he provided for us. He wants us to notice and not miss that so that we live with a sense of his mercy continuing to flow in our lives, even when we haven't always paid attention to things that we've done wrong. And so as we do that, many times he'll bring to mind precious gifts, sometimes ones we didn't notice during the day. Third is repent of all wrong actions, words, thoughts, and attitudes that come to mind. Replay, rejoice, repent of wrong actions, words, thoughts, and attitudes. I might go further and say that when we talk about repenting, what we mean is to turn from them. And when we turn from them, that means being willing to make restitution. That means to make things right. That means to repair whatever needs to be repaired. And so last, he says, reboot. Reboot by refreshing, by receiving fresh grace to glorify God. Replay, rejoice, repent, reboot by receiving fresh grace to glorify God. Sometimes my computer has not been working right. And sometimes when I've called a tech person, they'll say, have you tried rebooting your computer? Why? Because sometimes when a computer gets caught or a phone gets caught in a bad cycle, you're urged to reboot because that can sometimes reset things. And by doing this, we reset our hearts. 
There's something about not resetting our hearts and there's something about resetting our hearts where now his mercies can be new to us each day. Psalm 32, look at what David learned as he talked about going through the process of this. When I kept silent, my bones wasted away through my groaning all day long. For day and night, your hand was heavy on me. My strength was sapped as in the heat of summer. Then I acknowledged my sin to you and did not cover up my iniquity. I said, I will confess my transgressions to the Lord and you forgave the guilt of my sin. So I've got one more straw here and I just wanted to show you that oftentimes God wants to work in our lives, not only so the relational connection continues to flow, but I've got one that kind of bends here because many times he wants it to flow in such a way that it also doesn't just do the vertical relationship, but also the horizontal relationship. He wants us to be the kind of people who his grace and life and life uh, blood flows into other people. And if we'll act this way, it can make a difference. Let me say one thing in closing. If you ask me why the grace of God continues to flow upon our church, it's because I think that many of you and many of us on staff, when we get sideways with each other or we get proud or we do it the wrong way, we have tried to keep what I call short accounts. And if we'll do what Jesus said, then I believe that his grace will continue to flow upon us. So let me just ask you, are you learning how to confess your sins regularly, to name them specifically and not minimize them or call them by a different name? Are you learning how to go to someone, even though it takes courage because Jesus commands us to do that and make things right? Are you learning how to wrestle with forgiveness, even though it may be hard? He's not asking us to acknowledge that what they did was okay. It may even require us taking further steps with that person. But are you and I learning how to do that? If we will, I believe that the grace and power of God is going to continue to flow through our church. But it all starts with us being honest with God in prayer on a regular basis, yielding each day so that we open space for and we give priority to him. So I'm thankful to share this word with you today. And I hope that you'll practice praying these words this week. Forgive us our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thanks for joining us today. If you would like more information or to stay connected to Cherry Hills Church, please visit our website at cherryhillsfamily.org or follow us on Facebook.